All right, folks, welcome to Four Guys in a Comic. It's me, Nova, and today um, we have an incomplete set once again. But we've got Rusty and Red. How's it going, guys? What's up? Doing well. Love it. So we've got a pretty exciting, uh, a pretty exciting podcast this week where um, I will say if you're an arachnophobe, uh, skip ahead about 30 to 45 minutes to the interview. Um, or if, you know, if you're not a fan of Tom Holland or Thwipping in general, I'd say... Uh, skip ahead as well because uh, it's going to be pretty focused on spider-man i'd say this week um our poll our poll in general was super posers um which was kind of fun it was nice to come up with the names and made me realize like there's so many villains who played a superhero role for a while it's crazy it's no longer a creative idea um but yeah so uh superior spider-man won the poll i can't really Yay! say i'm surprised it's really good. Um, it is. You know, we've all talked about it. We had the Orange Galactus in there as an option. Um, Iron Man, Doctor Doom mashup. Who else was there? Sinestro as a Green Lantern. Lex Luthor as Superman. Was it um, Batman? And then Bane, Bane as Batman. Yeah. Ironic. Cool. Um, but yes, uh, Spear Spider Man basically stomped on everyone else. Kind of a cool pun there. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let, let's dive into some superior Spider-Man. Um, I think we, I'm, I'm sure we've talked about it a few times, but you know, it's one of those stories you can always just come back to and, mm-hmm. and really enjoy just cause it's so damn good. Dan Slott was, um, I think that was the first time I got back into Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, actually same here. I fell off of it was, and then I yeah. saw that and that got me. I was like, I saw an article and everyone's complaining. Oh, how can you do this Dr. Octopus's Spider-Man thing? I was like, that sounds kind of cool. I started reading yeah. it and, um, man, it gets it gets crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, after a few issues in, um, there's just, there's so many great plots going on and he's such a different character that um, I was hooked. I really yeah. dug it. Yeah, I remember when uh, Spider-Man 700 came out and, you know, that you know, it was a, you knew that was like going to be the last one. It was a must read, must buy. Picked it up, read it, and it's like, oh wow, okay, this is interesting. And you know that this is it. It's like, oh man. Then Superior Spider-Man came out. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I got to see what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> no, my uh, my my first introduction really with Superior Spider-Man was way way into the series actually, um, because whenever I first started getting back into comics and stuff, it was well into the Superior Spider-Man story. And um, one of the first ones I picked up was uh, Darkest Hour, I think it was. And it's when uh, Doc Ock became Venom Spider-Man, basically. And um, I just remember jumping off from that point and then just kept reading. And I was like, oh, wow, what the hell is going on with Spider-Man right now? This is not who I thought it was. This yeah. is not yeah. Peter Parker. So, yeah, no, it really hooked me in with just being something different from the untraditional Peter Parker that I was used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he um he does a lot of good stuff. He goes back and he gets like uh he gets a college degree for Peter or was it his PhD? I don't mm-hmm. remember. PhD. Got to finally yeah. got his PhD. Yeah, he starts up a relationship with that uh Midget. That little, <laughs> little woman. Little, lady. little woman. I forget what her name is. Is she Ugh. still around? I wonder. We need tap on to ask him. Too bad he's not. I here. think she is still around. I think because Doc Ock's back now and trying to get back with her. Oh, that's right could be yeah i I remember hearing something about that (laughs) 
It yeah. was me all along. Yeah, I don't know if this is going to work, buddy. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, what started up a, a company, came out with all these yeah. great little yeah, in, Parker, inventions and tech. That, I mean, I love the little spider cameras that were all over the city. That was, that was that clever. That was very yeah, clever. He became more like a Batman almost character after that. So, they, I don't they, know, a Batman, they, Iron yeah. Man, you know, there's, there's a mixture of stuff in there. They debuted those uh, the spider arms, that sort of thing he put on his back, mm-hmm. and you could just crawl around even faster. I mean, at that point, people have to be asking questions. Like, he talks weird. He's talking like this. He's got this smug attitude to him. Is what I never get, because the reader knows, like, you know it's a Doc Octopus. But even the way he's talking, you're like, does Peter Parker never talk this way, guys? How does nobody yeah. know who he is? What kind of friends are you? Like what? Like how do you not know this? That something's wrong here. I was gonna say, how um, does Mary like Jane just Ant-Man. show up and is just like, "Hey, what's going on, Peter?" Man, yeah, no interest. <laughs> I don't have time for this yeah. conversation. Yeah, even think- with Aunt May, there was an issue or two with Aunt May, and even then, it was she couldn't even pick up on it. Yeah. But uh, man, it was it was good writing. It was really well done, and you, you really cheered for Doc Ock. You really did. He was he was the Peter Parker you always really wanted. At least for me, yeah, you know, I read that's like yeah, this is how Spider Man should have been the whole time. It was the it was quick. De- I was gonna say it's the quick developing <laughs> Spider Man aspect of where we actually saw some progress instead of him being in grad school for like twenty five years. And it's like okay, yeah. he finally <laughs> moved forward great he's more of an adult now you know mm-hmm. yep. yeah i mean he um he, he killed someone like in the first five issues or something he killed yeah. he shot someone in the head um i don't remember who some d-list villain probably but mm-hmm. he did that he was like beating up villains to a pulp like everyone's like how what are you doing like what's going on you're just and it was great to see because all these problems were going away but then all these different ones would sprout um it was just a really nice take on on that whole villain becoming the superhero for a little bit uh you know i guess trope you if you want to call it that now all right but um yeah so superior spider-man i guess he's coming back now but we've got uh dr octopus actually coming back which could be interesting oh he is back oh my goodness oh he He's been in Hydra a octopus, right? Yes, he has got this cool little Hydra suit mm. thing going on. He's been in, a, I think, three issues, three tie-ins or whatever you can say for the uh, Secret Empire event. And he's kicking butt. He is basically in charge of the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the New Titan uh, Hydra Nation border. So, okay. he's keep, so, yeah, he's in charge of the border. And when somebody break... Has he trimmed yeah. down? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. And uh, Jim uh, Zub has been riding him. Doing a great job, man. Jim is just wow. I read that last really? issue he did. It just like I instantly had to tweet him, tell him how great it was. <laughs> Very cool. That's great. Yeah, but um, Spider Man sort of—I don't want to say coming back, but in general, I guess he's been. You know, he's got. We got Chip. Chip's issue dropped. Uh, I guess. Last, last it was week. last not this past Wednesday, past the Wednesday the Wednesday before last right yeah so um I mean I guess we can chat about that a little bit um yeah like we said I mean we can talk more about superior but we've all we always talk superior like I know we've mentioned it quite a few times it's it's amazing I mean people who haven't read it really should go back and read it 
um as soon as you get over like the first three issues where you're you're mad because you're a huge peter parker fan you're like this is impossible like peter would never let this happen um you really enjoyed a lot that's another thing by the end of it um i i i was hating it when they were in peter's mind and he's sort of fighting back control and i was like no stop don't go down this road i don't want peter back it's gonna get boring See, that was the Which weirdest did. part about um, that man it's just peter pops <laughs> out of nowhere and it's like how did this happen you know yeah he was just like fighting in his brain yeah. and like if peter never left and what i just re- recalled it was also a uh doc ock fought what was it um black cat and that's when she started figuring out that this wasn't Peter. It was so I remember that because yeah. he was sitting there saying, like, who was it? Because he didn't recognize someone basically that okay, I say Peter it was her. knew this was it her? Where yeah. he, he didn't recognize her and yeah, and, they and had he, a relationship or something? Yeah, and he beat the crap out of her and she realized Peter would have never done this to me. Might have been that one, but I remember that happening. He had to have done that to a few yeah. people. But, oh well. Weird stuff. Super poser, yeah, right? Come back. Yeah. But, uh, there are, are there any others that I'm sure there are a few that I missed while I was doing that poll? There's a lot. It's just super quick. Our, I think our biggest super, I mean, uh, super poser, though, is um, that 263 issue that I was... Uh, bring it up but we'll get to that oh, that's right well, yeah. i mean if we're done with superior spider-man we can get to that but yeah let's that's it's kind of you brought up an interesting point about that issue and uh superior spider-man um yeah no let's talk about that it was 263 of amazing spider-man yep. i'm sure you know the, all the credits of who did what it was um McFarlane. tom defalco ron friends uh, uh bob brown maybe mm. I think it might have been the uh, inker, but yeah. And then um, I forgot who the editor in chief was at the time, but somebody. Oh, you're getting in there. Yeah, I wasn't expecting yeah. that. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's the it's the chubby chubby Spider-Man cover. It's the what every. Why is Peter exactly? Fat? <laughs> you know, every time I used to, I, before I read the issue, you know, this past few like two weeks ago or whatever. I remember always seeing people post that issue in comic rooms and stuff and being like, ho, 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 a fat Spider-Man issue. And then you actually read the issue and you're like, okay, this isn't Spider-Man at all. Never mind. But yeah, it's a, it's a, I'm trying to, Scotty Oz, Oswald or something. I thought it was Oliver. Yeah, Ollie, Ollie something. And then it's kind of weird because it's an O name like uh, Octavius or whatever, you know? Otto Octavius. And then we got Ollie or Oliver. Mm. And originally, dude wanted to be Dr. Octopus. And it was just a little chubby kid that got picked on in school who ended up building himself his own pair of arms or whatever to try and become Dr. Octopus. And then later realized that didn't work out because Peter stopped him right away. This is like Amazing Spider-Man 60-something, I think. I don't know the exact number. And then in this 263 issue, he turns around and he's like, I don't want to be the villain. I was never meant to be the villain. I was always meant to be the hero. And 
it's kind of cool because you see this like i guess foreshadowing thing because of superior spider-man basically where the guy who wanted to be dr octopus ends up becoming spider man or trying to become spider boy and still use the arms and everything and turn them into spider legs now and it's like this is like way too surreal it's almost like the what if james foster thing you know what i mean yeah. it's like for, hardcore foreshadowing yeah. for the future though yeah only 437 issues foreshadowing <laughs> yeah right <laughs> digging deep but uh i like this um there's a couple panels with Peter Parker like getting ready for bed and he's got his bathrobe on and it's like mid thigh long <laughs> pink is probably it's got to be like MJ's yeah. or something um or whoever he was with at that time who knows but yeah that was it was a fun issue um Ollie Osnick that's his name I wonder if he showed up after that No it makes me curious too that's something that I was like I was thinking about looking up but you know who knows? Uh, if we don't look it up, maybe a fan will bring it up or someone online or something and tell us exactly what happened mm-hmm. to him. Now, yeah, it would be. Nice. I was gonna say, Red. I know you used to be a big Amazing Spider-Man fan, but I don't. I don't know if you remember this issue or not. What's that? Two sixty-three. I don't remember. I, I mean, I know I owned it, but uh, I just don't remember. I mean, after seven hundred issues, it's sort of like. You know, I'm not going to remember. All right. So one of the things about this issue that Tap brought up, even though he's not here, he told us his thoughts on it. He said he said that he thought it was a really fun issue and, you know, it was a cool little one shot. And that was something that I agree with because, you know, a lot of comics nowadays, we don't get these little one shot in between issues or whatever and it was a really feel good issue and he agreed on that like it was fun there wasn't really thing anything important and the nerdy kid ended up getting the chick in the end of all of this that was one of the coolest things about this and he wasn't like some dumb kid either he was pretty smart we had the spider symbol instead of the bat symbol which was a great panel in here and then he's just running around and he's talking about oh i can't get caught and it was kind of reminiscent of original spider-man peter parker in a way where he's sneaking out trying not to get caught by aunt may and everything and it's, it, it was a really just a lot happened and we also got the birth of um harry osborne's uh child in it yeah i didn't even i didn't even know harry osborne had a child what happened to it like does it get drowned later or um spider-man snap its neck too no that's something that i that, that's horrible this i just realized what you said damn you nova um but no that, that's something that i was curious about too it's like what happened to this kid later on because did he grow up to be anything important or did you know it's just <gasps> He's hydra cap right something like that he's the iron patriot isn't real it's really uh. his kid yeah what'd they end up naming him to they named him after uh someone uh, i don't know you're asking me all the wrong questions yeah well, well we both read it no i'm surprised neither one of us can remember it his name oh i don't know if they if they named him in the actual thing in the actual issue but he was beautiful um and yeah it was a you're right it was a very feel-good issue it was and it's like even like i said even though it was like that one shot kind of thing we got this kid who got the girl on the end we had a birth of an of harry osborne's kid and stuff um 
And you had, you know, Peter Parker get the black suit, but it wasn't the symbiote all over again. So even though this was like a one shot thing where it was like a story that technically didn't mean anything, a lot of things happened in it that I guess ended up playing out in the end, you know? So Black Cat just made him this black suit. Well, Black Cat honestly thinks Peter Parker is a wimp without the Spider-Man costume on. And she thought that he was cooler in the black suit, basically. So uh, in mm. earlier issues, she says that, you know, it's it was hot basically when it was just the identity was Spider-Man and I'm Black Cat and I don't know who this mysterious man is and stuff. And then she yeah. he revealed himself to her. And then she's like, oh, he's just this nerdy, wimpy dude that's not really, you know, that's emotional and everything else. He's not this badass that I thought he was. And so whenever he was in the black suit, she felt like that gave him like some new kind of attitude when really it was just the symbiote influencing his decisions a little bit. So So this was like late 80s, mid to late 80s. I don't think it was, I think it was mid 80s probably. It was after, it was 1984-85, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that brings us, I guess, um, going, what, 30 years into the future, we had um, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. Number one came out with, I'm pretty sure we all read it, right? Nope. Oh, Rusty, you didn't read it. Nope, it's sitting on my desk, sadly very sadly i've wanted to read it i've been stoked about it i've told my shop that i have it on my pool and ready to go for a while i just haven't gotten a chance to read it yeah it's i mean it's a fine issue yeah well yeah. tell me a little bit about it i'm not a huge spot i'm not a i'm not a big spider-man fan so it's not like i, I wasn't very excited about it mm-hmm. um it was just fine you know you get some you get some talking and it's a lot of comedy. I was going to ask A that. lot of comedy. I see, that, that was my thing. Because we all know Chip Zdarsky is... He's a goof. He is a goofy guy. Yeah. And I was wondering, was the whole book like a joke book? Almost like a Deadpool comic? Or yeah. was it any kind of serious? I mean, there's... There's a plot. There's a storyline happening there. But it's not... I don't know. I, I still haven't seen... I don't... Again, I don't read too much Marvel, but mostly what I've seen Chip do is like funnier books. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he can write like really serious moments because Spider-Man does need those. Um, you know, it's not it's not really Spider-Man without the conflict and all that, but it was like punchline after punchline sort of thing going on. Um, so I don't know if you like that. I mean, I can, I, I'll keep reading it for sure. I'm, I'm interested in it, but I don't know how much. Like, I can't do Deadpool books for like a long period of time. I just, there's just so many jokes I, I can handle before I need. I need a little more seriousness in my, in my comic life. See, that was the other thing that I was going to question: Is this going to be a mini, or is this like an ongoing regular thing? Apparently, it's ongoing. Okay, so how many jokes are we going to get out of Chip Zdarsky, basically? How many times is Deadpool or Howard the Duck going to pop up? No, I think he had a he had a few characters show up in this one, but none of those guys. Oh, that's good. You know what? I mean, we saw the joke. It was a while. I think it was a while back on his Twitter account where I think it was Jim Zub saying like, oh, you know, if only I can get a chance to write 
Spider-Man. And he tweeted back to me. He's like, hey, back off. There's only enough characters to go around or whatever. And uh, it's because he finally got the book. But, you know, I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, I mean, like I said, I hope it turns into something beyond just a giant joke comic. Um, I know Chip Zdarsky can do something beyond just a giant joke comic. And I, you know, I like a lot of his work. He's done a lot of great stuff. And, um, you know, I only hope for the best for it, uh, especially because yeah. he, they're reviving, you know, an older title. It's like uh, the adjective has been used before. So it definitely feels a lot more like older Spider-Man. That's cool. You know, there, uh, I don't I, I again, I don't know what's happening in Amazing, but he really didn't have any technology. He almost seemed like he was a little stupider in this mm-hmm. series. Like he didn't even. He didn't even know how to like hack a phone or something, and I don't know. It was, it was weird, but um, yeah, it, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'll keep reading it. Very cool. No doubt, no doubt. Um, I guess you didn't. You said you didn't read Weapons of Mutant Destruction either. No, damn it, Rusty. But I did read Man Thing, and it was the last issue. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, I I do not want to hate too too much, but the ending of Man Thing. I was hoping that it would get better and it never got better. <laughs> and um, the the ending to Man Thing, y'all are never going to read this, right? Probably not. Okay. The nope. ending to. Even if there's a hardcover. The, the big buildup was, like I told you, was the, they, they were in this alternate dimension with um, Old Father or whatever, the, which is like the guy who is in charge of this trans dimension thing. He's like, the the boss or whatever in between weird dimensions uh and separating them from earth and making sure they don't like invade our realm or whatever but uh and he's an old character he's a long time old character he he's been written many many different comics and he's established since the 70s but in the end it was him trying to save old father and this weird queen that was making netflix jokes and everything else from this dimension which made no sense and um she basically used this guy like it's the all-knowing eye or something to convince man thing to kill old father okay like decapitate him and so in the the second to last issue uh it ends with is he gonna do it and it shows him like holding up the axe and like whatever and then in the last issue he actually cuts his head off or whatever right and like it actually happens you're like oh did not expect that right and all of a sudden everyone leaves or whatever and he gets mad and he kills this queen thing, the queen person, and he kills everyone there and they all run away. And he's just left there with a headless old father. He's like, oh my God, what have I done? And then all of a sudden old father's head goes, do you really think someone decapitating me would just end everything? And he's alive. And it was like for no reason. There was a buildup and he's just like, you can't decapitate me and I die. I, I'm beyond that. And... They do this weird thing where he has to go back and find his body in a body shop or something like that. And then they go back and Old Father goes through one portal and Man-Thing is like, which portal do I go through? I hope I make the right decision. And he goes through the wrong one and ends up in a Man-Thing world. And I'm just like, what? So instead of going back to Earth... He's in a place where everyone looks like him and does what people do. 
So he went, ended up in a neighborhood and there was like a guy in a shirt and pants, but looked like man thing mowing his yard and a little girl man thing playing hopscotch. And just like he was in man thing world now. And he's like the end. And that was it. And I was just like, this is the biggest cop out ever <laughs> for man thing. That sounds absurd. It was. And I'm just like, so man thing is gone forever now or what's the deal or did this not mean anything and this wasn't canon at all so who knows uh i'm sorry arlstein but i did not like your <laughs> man thing sorry some things just are not meant to be you know? yeah man man thing was really bad though like it sounds like a huge scam. I would be. Pissed. I am really upset with Man Thing. Like the whole thing seems like, hey, Arl Stein, we want to get a big name on this comic. Will you write it for us? Sure thing. How much money are you gonna pay me? We'll pay you this. I'll do it for that much money. I don't really know anything about this character or care to write about him, but the money seems right. So Red, you're um you're our in-house Secret Empire uh, specialist. Um, I know we haven't had a main issue come out recently, as of the time of recording anyway. Uh, the last one we had was number four, um, which I think I mentioned in passing in our chat room, just saying that I really like the Ultron Hank yeah. Pym interaction with um, with the teammates there. I thought it was really good, basically calling them all a joke and being like, "Where? Like, who are you guys now? I can't. I can barely recognize who you've become. It's great. I really liked it. Um but you overall, how are you into the? I mean, there's what 32 issues? Is that is yeah, that the number of videos? Yeah, yeah you've done? 32 YouTube videos covering every single issue that has dropped but to it. Yeah. What's crazy is like the main title isn't even halfway done, so theoretically we'll have like over 60 issues in total at least for this. At event. least, and that's not that that won't even count variants. <laughs> I was gonna say, dude, you've been collecting all the variants yes. too. Yes else but i mean okay i'm gonna ask you this because i know that you're i think you're caught up on secret empire yep. still right yeah um did you read the uncanny avengers issue that just came out uh yes i i'm trying to remember they all kind of blend together so it's I'm the to one remember. where they explain of uh, when new york went black basically. yes 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 that and one brother voodoo yep that, i know what you're talking about that was that was okay uh i like you know the harry fisk thing at the end of it Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, it was okay in my opinion. A lot of these issues, like that one, could have been done a month ago. There's been yes. quite a few issues that could have been within a, that's like a week late or four weeks late, in my opinion. So that's kind of annoying me a little bit with how they're putting this stuff into order. A couple issues like U.S. Avengers number seven, I thought it was a waste of money, waste of time reading. It wasn't very well done. But then you had other issues like uh, the one by Jim Zub. Was it uh, Secret Empire United? There's United yeah. and a million yeah. others. United. Yeah, United number one. That was really good. Really enjoyed that. You know, that like a, we were talking about before, that has, you know, your superior Doc Ock in it. Uh, so, what was the other one? Brave New World. I'm really enjoying that uh, series. That has uh, Namer issue, in it, right? Yep. Well, yes and no. Issue two just dropped. It's three stories in one issue. And yes, Namer is one of the stories. The last one in issue two that was really fun was um, Hydra Bob was in it. He was the second story. 
And basically, it was just a fun little story about how he couldn't get the D-ring off his uh, a harness and how he was able to capture you know, the Inhuman because he couldn't figure out how to use his uh, rigging. <laughs> uh, then there was another you No know, More Hearts Felt one in there. Basically, we get the first appearance of, uh, what's the guy, what did he call himself? The Patriot. So some young new superhero that's going to be in there. So this is basically his first appearance. Uh, but I'm enjoying it. I, I like the three little minis in the one issue. That's been pretty enjoyable. But again, you know, with the main storyline, we still have that uh, Steve Rogers in whatever, wherever he's at. We have no idea. Found two buddies to help him along. And making friends. Yeah, so either he's trapped in his own mind or he's trapped in the in the Cosmic Cube. It's, it's kind of hard to say. I'm sure once all the fragments of the cube come back into place, it's probably going to open up this Pandora's box where we're going to see, you know, two uh, Steve Rogers having some struggle. Yeah, you <laughs> know what? That was some of the one of the things, though. In the newest issue, whenever we saw uh, Pimtron or whatever you want to call him or whatever, and the whole thing with him just giving the cosmic cube fragment to uh scott yeah to scott yeah and just everything else i was like this is so cool and then he comes mm -hmm. back and caps like why did you do this and he's like because i gotta make it more interesting i gotta make sure y'all destroy each other yeah exactly and, and then the whole thing's ruined because neighbors just like all right cap and here you go <laughs> Yeah, right? And it's like, if this does not seem like something he would do, come on now. Okay, so we're talking about, you know, the the, the, the fragments of the, the shards of the cube. One of the other cool things, though, now is that uh, the heroes now have two, where Cap only has one. Mm-hmm. So I don't... But here's the thing that kind of is screwy with the whole thing that's going on supposedly back before all this was kind of starting and everything i think it was issue zero uh zemo supposedly had all the fragments and then all of a sudden he doesn't have all the fragments so there's some discontinuity in the storyline which hopefully all makes sense in the end at least though right oh yeah yeah, I'm still, you know, don't have high hopes for a great spectacular ending because after all, it's a Marvel well, like, being written. Just look at the sheer numbers. There's no way. 31 issues. Like, this is just blowing my mind. That's so much, like, there's that's so much to connect between so many different titles. Like, how do you get that mm -hmm. right? I don't think it's possible. Yeah. You're going to mess something up and, 100%. And the only thing that's actually flowing well is the stuff that Nick Spencer's writing between... Yeah. It, Captain America's uh, issues and with the Secret Empire issues, those are blending in well in a, in the proper timeline. Everything else is just you know helter skelter mixed in there, not really making all that much you sense. You know what's weird is the uh, is X Men Blue and X Men Gold still haven't tied in yet, but the next issues for both of them are both supposed to be the Secret Empire issues. So we're gonna go back in time again, yeah, probably. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, um, I will say on the DC side of things, Batman 25 was so good. Oh my god, I can't wait. Yeah. The War of Jokes and Riddles. Uh, the whole issue is basically, it takes place after Zero Year. I think, Red, you probably read that. It was during Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's mm -hmm. run. So it's a year after that. Um, 
Joker's Joker's <laughs> sort of just roaming around, causing chaos, trying to get Batman to find him. Riddler's broken out of, uh, I think it was Blackgate, and oh my, it was so good. It was really well done. Can't wait for that uh, that arc. Mm-hmm. I started reading Mind Management. Have you guys heard of that series? No. By Matt Kent. Sounds familiar. So it's yes, written yes, and drawn yes. by Matt Kent, and I started it. I read issue one earlier today, and I'll just maybe I can sell you guys on it. So basically, the issue it's it's wild. It's like Inception kind of stuff, but. Basically, the way the story starts out is everyone on flight 851 suddenly forgets who they are, why they're on that flight, um, and so it's crazy. Everyone's just like, who am I? Why am I here? Like, like what is this? What is this airplane? Uh, the pilots forget how to fly a plane, so they're in a huge panic. They manage to land it and all that, but um, that's how it starts off. It's really cool. Uh, it's It's got... It keeps... There's a CIA's involved. There's all this weird stuff going on. There's like people following this main female who's trying to write this like suspense thriller book um i'm really excited to see where it goes there's like six huge volumes of it so i don't know when i'll finish it but i'm very excited um yeah i think yeah uh, it's just it's very exciting matt kin's artwork's a bit rough to look at sometimes but you know i've seen worse definitely um which is not not too great but um all right, I think I think at this point we really should give our guest a call. I think we've kept him waiting for a little while now. And um, we'll be back shortly. All right, everyone. Welcome to the interview portion of our show. We have our special guest today, David Clarence. David, welcome. Hi, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm uh, actually kind of a fan of the show. The couple of weeks I've been listening to it and uh, excited to be on. Oh, we're excited to have you. Thanks. So for those that are unfamiliar with the work, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, um, I... I go professionally by D. Clarence Snyder, where I can be found on Amazon and whatnot. Um, for a long time, I, I wrote under a pseudon- another pseudonym um, because I was doing uh, pre-press under my real name, David Snyder. And um, I worked in comics. I worked on this little title nobody's ever heard of called The Tick. And uh, from that, I kind of launched into trying to do my own thing. And more recently, that's uh, self-publishing novels. Very cool. So nice. I got to ask... First and foremost, um, since you said you kind of started out more with like comic stuff or what, or what it seems before you started publishing novels and stuff, um, what got you into comic books? I have just always been uh, a comic reader way back in, in high school and, and before. Um, actually, when I was in high school, I was uh, writing and drawing my own very terrible comics. And um, then when I uh, got to where I really wanted to, to write professionally, I saw an opportunity, and, and that was to write in comics. And um, so that's just just the direction I went. Um, and even though I'm writing novels now, I, uh, I, I still see comics as a viable art form and a medium. And I've got a, a couple of comic projects I'm kind of working on on the side as well. Very cool. And you, anything you can mention and bring, talk about it all? Oh, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to talk about it. It's oh, just sweet. Uh, since I don't even have an illustrator yet, it's probably a, probably a little ways out. Gotcha. Um, I, have a, uh, I have a comic series that I'm 
a series of graphic novels as I plan it that I'm very excited about called Flying Pirate Ships with an exclamation mark. Mm. Um, basically, everything you need to know about it is in the title. It has flying pirate ships. Cool. <laughs> the, uh, uh, about a guy who was a superhero in the real world, uh, tentatively set in Boston, but I'm probably going to make it a fictional city. And uh, after about five years, the police finally figured out who he was, arrested him. He was uh, tried, convicted, and sent to prison for 10 years. The story starts the day he gets out of prison, and a copycat superhero shows up that very same night. Naturally, the cops drive straight to his door. You're under arrest. And uh, this, the series is, uh, is a combination of um, going after, trying to figure out who this copycat is, so a little bit of little bit of mystery, a little bit of superhero, and uh, it's also kind of a social commentary on, frankly, what a failure our prison systems are, uh, because of the story of reintegration for uh, for this guy. I mean, he has every advantage in the world. He's a millionaire. He's white. He's male, and um, and yet he still has just fundamental problems like trying to get access to his own funds because his IDs are expired because he's been in prison ten years. Uh, it's a uh, it, it's kind of a pet project of mine that I've, that I've had for a long time and um, I was actually talking to somebody about at uh, Portsmouth Comic Con this year and I got really excited to try and try and actually start it so I've got an issue of it written and I'm kind of kind of trying to get it more planned out and then seek out an illustrator so you mentioned that uh, flying pirate ships with an exclamation mark um, you mentioned that it's going to be a long series of graphic novels. How far out have you planned that, um, just out of curiosity? I have the, loosely I have the entire series planned. Um, okay. I think it will be at least four, and if I can come up with another story or two in the middle, it'll be seven graphic novels. Um, the I started writing it, and uh, it sort of got away from me. The original story, what was supposed to be a three-page, sort of how we got here, is probably going to be the first volume, which is why I'm thinking it's probably going to stretch to seven. Um, it's uh, it's basically space travel set in the late 19th century, and um, so it's a little little fanciful. Um, and ultimately, it's going to uh, the whole thing instead of being on Mars, which is kind of the classic for that, it's going to be set on Minerva. And the the end of the series is actually when the planet breaks up and becomes the asteroid belt. So wow. I, I, I have it I have it sort of planned all the way through that because there's uh, a lot of religion in it with the natives and uh, and a prophecy of the end of the world which is actually going to culminate in the in the last novel, graphic novel. Very cool. So what made you want to do this book? Um, I just I, I just like the idea of of 18th century space or 19th century space travel and um, I I just. I, I don't know. I just love the idea. It was something that came to me one one day, and um, you know, some of my some of my influences are uh, John Carter of Mars, Edgar Rice Burroughs, and so that that's kind of appealing to me. And I wanted to to do like my own take to it instead of just the single the single hero jumping about with a bunch of aliens. It's um, it's really colonization efforts by the major powers: Britain, France, a little bit of Germany. There's uh, because the uh, the expedition to Minerva actually happens in the the late days of the Civil War. There's a uh, there's a small Confederate outpost of refugees that have basically fled the uh, the impending defeat from the north. Very cool. Sounds exciting. It sounds it, very exciting, actually. Yeah. I'm really into the space stuff, so I'm just like, all right. Yeah. 
yeah, it, it's it should be fun, and and like mm-hmm. I said, I I try to I try to entice everybody with just the title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what more do you need to know? Yeah. So, how many issues have you have planned out for so far? Uh, it's planned out for about seven graphic novels. Um, it will probably have to be in graphic novel format just because of the length of, of chapter, uh, and you know, I might have some spinoffs, but it's it's probably going to be it's probably just going to be that series of series of stories. And um, do you have, I guess, an art style in mind or an artist in mind that you would love to have work on the book? I would love to have it done in black and white manga format, actually. Um, because interesting. Because I, I, I think it would I think it would fit um, the cleanliness of the lines, the the nature, the mechanical nature of of ships in general. Um, I don't I don't really ha- I have a couple of artists I've worked with um, that I would love to see do it, but uh, not, none of them have the time for me, frankly. Um, Sean Wong, who uh, who worked on the Tick um, at, around the time I was there, and then another guy that I that I worked with, uh, Mark Sandroni, who who has a very clean, it's, it's a very clean American style, but it's it's almost it's almost manga. It's it's like a blend between the two. So um, on that note, I guess are you? It seems like you're a manga fan. Are you uh, reading anything currently that's that's been? Getting you on the weekly or biweekly basis, however often they come out those chapters. I would like. I'm reading East of West. Is uh, oh nice. Is, is the last good. thing that I was that I was kind of getting caught up on, and I'm I'm on about issue seven of it, and I issue thirty something just showed up in my sub this week. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm kind of way behind. Um, I'm a longtime fan of um, Mastamuni Shiro, uh, Ghost in the Shell, Dominion Tank Police. Uh, basically, his his mid '90s work, uh, and it's uh, it's fair to say that's a little inspiring to uh, to some of the stuff that I've that I've done in writing. Uh, my novels, for example, are are fundamentally cyberpunk, and uh, there's a lot of um, sort of alternative law theory uh, that goes into it. The, the basic premise of, of my novels and, and short stories, uh, the stuff that I've got on Amazon right now, is uh, a world in which large corporations have been given the legal status of sovereign nations and kind of the, the effects of, of that that happen. Uh, corporations uh, are generally the law, and although they, they pay taxes for utilization of, of um, resources and infrastructure, they fundamentally ignore the 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 municipal government and some of that some of that comes from the idea of of Dominion tank police where you know though they were running around with with patrol tanks they were forced to uh, keep boundaries on uh, the various science labs and and whatnot that were that were corporate interests you know it's I I often tell people that my that my um, foundation for the megacorp is actually the East India Trading Company. None of these are new ideas um, in the in the scope of things, but it's it's all about how we uh, how we put the flavor and and what what kind of stories we can tell with with those concepts. Very cool. So I have to ask this sure. um, because you you seem like you really know what you're talking about and you're really well educated. Uh, what is your like educational background from this? Is this something that you started out as a hobby? Did you go to school for any of this or? Um. Well. <laughs> I have a high school diploma. <laughs> hey, I have to give props to you, man. 
<laughs> yeah, that's um, you know, formally, I, I you know, I have technical training and and whatnot. My my writing training is is mostly just hobby and and um, concentration and practice. Um, I've been I've been writing stories since I was seven years old, and uh, you know, my first story that I remember writing was actually Star Wars fan fiction. It was a uh, slave revolt of the astromech droids. They uh, rose up and killed all the pilots. It was done in crayon. <laughs> Cool. And, you know, you know, flash forward about 20 years, um, I, uh, I actually read a book uh, by a guy that I, that I really like, uh, J. Michael Straczynski. He wrote a book about writing, and he, he gave one very important concept that stuck with me ever since, and, and that is to remember that trying to write professionally is to work in a business and to never forget that writing is a business. Um, it, it changed my total approach to it. I, I stopped trying to um, do neat things that I just liked in, in scenes and whatnot and really tried to, to do something that somebody else would see as marketable or saleable um, in, in the form, in the way that I, that I presented it. Um, that's, that's what got me writing for The Tick. And then as you know, I went on, I um, came away from that and interviewed with other publishers and, you know, got the idea that maybe I had some good stories of my own. And then I did, you know, looked at it and said, okay, what stories do I want to tell? What do I think would be fun to write? And then sat down and, you know, basically did the same process as come up with a base story, uh, write it out long form if, if possible, and um, try to stitch it together so it makes sense to somebody else. Very cool. Now, um, for people interested, I was just browsing through your uh, website, the um, PowerTwinsComics.com, and yeah, um, yeah, if, yeah. If people are interested, there's a lot of really funny, like newspaper shorts of um, of these two guys who I'm just sort of catching up catching up on now that are they're pretty funny uh, and they're pretty they're pretty cool. You know, four panels, it's great. You get a little joke in there and. It's sort of there's an overall progression throughout the the relationship of these two characters that I clearly need to catch up on. Um, that's uh, yeah, that's actually um, it's actually almost uh, twelve years old now. Uh, those those wow. strips. Yeah, that yeah, was, yeah. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was actually the alter ego of of myself and um, and a guy I went to high school with, um, Mark Sylvia, and uh, he actually is is the guy whose name I wrote under when I was writing the tech. He and I wrote a bunch of, bunch of those scripts together. Um, a few of them, he was asleep, but <laughs> it's kind of, kind of how it happens. And, uh, yeah, the power twins was, um, was, uh, power kid and spike power, um, were, were our alter egos and they were basically, uh, the pretty good and pretty evil twin of each other. Um, and it's, it's kind of funny that actually started as, uh, notes in the margins of my chemistry notebook in high school uh, he and I took chemistry together and I would draw a panel pass it to him he would draw a panel pass it to me I draw a panel and that's how our stories progressed and each each one was just an attempt to one-up each other um, it was it was a lot of fun that is that's kind of how that's kind of how the power twins went and um, by the time we were doing that we had been writing for the tick for about five years and so the progression that you see the story progression that comes from uh, what I was saying, us taking this a little more seriously as as kind of an effort to do something with a professional look, uh, but still, you know, not lose the sort of 
the sort of sense that we have as you go through the strips you'll see i write one he writes one i write one he writes one um and a little bit of of reactive to each other um during that during that strip there is actually a uh, a point when right after we had got it started um i was i was actually in the air force national guard in texas and um the levees broke right about the time that that a strip was due for me to write and um I, uh, my unit deployed to uh, New Orleans for, for about a month. And so there's a month of updates where he's just, where Mark is taking the helm and, and uh, making fun of my deployment, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but it, it's, you know, and it, it kind of got to be a thing because of, because of who I was and, and what I was, um, that it, it was a very important thing for us to kind of, kind of address. Um, Unfortunately, neither of us made anywhere near enough money to, to do this full time, and so we uh, we sort of fell away from it and got into our regular job jobs. And um, you'll you, if you if you progress, you'll eventually come to a strip that I tried to relaunch the site with called Lisa, which is also same four panel format. Um, Lisa is a uh, psychopath um, priestess of war who uh, is uh, lives in a D and D world and. Um, it's uh, it's kind of makes fun a little bit of that. The first first couples are, are kind of Skyrim jokes, but uh, it's really based on based on this D and D character that that I have. And there's and there's some progression to that. It's actually what's uh, funny is I was um, just uh, last night, as a matter of fact, I, I unearthed a strip that I had drawn but hadn't um, hadn't finished producing. And because I was going to be doing this, I thought, well, maybe I should do a little more comic work. And I actually was assembling the artwork. So there's probably going to be a few more of those strips coming up in the semi-near future, at least to awesome. force me to do something that I can finish. Very cool. Yeah, I've heard that's, uh, that's the most important part is getting something out there. Yep. Yeah, it really is. Um, my first completed novel, uh, The Cookie Caper, is, was actually a national novel writing in a month challenge. I... Um, took the month of November and, and tried to put a 50,000 word story out there in 30 days, which is, which is the challenge. Um, I failed. It took me 35 days and it was 57,000 words. And I sent it off to a, to a buddy of mine, uh, who, uh, who works as a game designer and he read it and told me all the things that I'd screwed up with it, or at least most of the things I'd screwed up with it. Um, some relationships that I didn't, uh, didn't, uh, fully explore. And I took that back and I decided Oh, and this really, really awful essay that I had as the second chapter that kind of explained the world. And uh, I ripped out that chapter completely, wrote a complete B story about this corporate police officer who uh, turned out to be one of my favorite characters in the, in the whole book, and, um, just, uh, and just produced it. But the kind of the point was that 30-day deadline just writing to get the story done, that you know that is so important when you're actually in the in the mode of drafting is to actually finish something and um, that's how that went <laughs> yeah i know um i know i know red's tried as well but whenever i've tried to sit down and write a comic i'm just like you know what between trying to go to work and trying to go to the gym once in a while and read comics i'm like i'm not i just can't do it um so i i know 
I don't know what it's like to actually finish one, but I know what it's like to try. And um, you know, it sounds easier. Like I I've got all I, these I ideas. Really yeah, I've got all these amazing ideas. Like I just need to write them down. I'll get to it. I'll get it all done soon. And he's like, No, it's never gonna happen. Yeah, it's like I, I gotten six issues written, and then by the time I finished the sixth issue, I was like, You know what? I'm not happy with the way this turned out. And I almost pretty much started redoing the whole thing all over again from scratch. <laughs> I you know, I have a uh, I have a novel the first novel that I started to try to finish that I never did um, I, I actually now that I've now that I've actually done some writing I look at and go oh, I've got to start that over because yeah. how it's how it's constructed is just so wrong the the thing with writing comics um, that was I I had done so much of that I mean I wrote for the Tech for about five years and I had done so much of that that I know what a comic looks like when it's done. When I when I started writing a novel, I realized I have no idea what it looks like when it's done. I I don't know when I finish tinkering with it because I'm always going back and adjusting it. Mm-hmm. The um and it, you know it, ultimately it took somebody else telling me, yeah, I think this is done and uh, you you should set it to press. Um, with a comic, you know, I got so methodical in in producing them. It was, you know, I I had a complete summary. Every time I, I started writing, I wanted to write an issue, I had a complete summary that I had actually sent off to be approved. And once it was approved with whatever notes, I then did a very careful page-by-page outline. And then when it came to actually writing it, because the one line that told me what was going to be on that page was enough for me to write the whole page, it, it just it became a very methodical, very easy process. Um, the whole problem was planning it. Uh, and, you know... When I went to writing novels, I had a loose idea where I wanted to go with the story, basically. I mean, I had a pretty good idea where I wanted to go, but it, it was it was very loose in form. I didn't didn't have it um, outlined at all. I, I had a summary that I was working from, and it, it wound up to be a very different writing process. When I went back to try and write this this comic uh, about the guy who got out of prison, where I was writing the first the first uh, issue, I I had basically free wrote it. Um, did the whole thing by the seat of my pants and uh when i was done i'd I'd gotten the points that i wanted to get at in the first issue but i wasn't sure if the pacing was right because i hadn't done the legwork of doing the doing the outline and uh, i sent it off to i sent it off to to my friend who you know mark who i'd written the wrote the tick with and um the the coolest thing was when he texted me the next day and said that he really liked it and um that just that gave me a swell that okay maybe i haven't forgotten how to do this <laughs> yeah even though i'm taking this completely different approach um but the, the trick in comics uh for me was was always that outline was all, once i planned it page by page you know what needed to happen on every page and had done the whole left page right page consideration because you, you always have you always have reveals on the right page and you have cliffhangers on the right page because that's what people are going to see every time they turn um you know, you're 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 the the editor um, at New England Comics Press. He was always keen on what we put on the splash page. Um, the cover was the most important thing in the world, and then the splash page was the most important thing in the world because those were the two things that people were going to see when they were going to decide whether or not they were going to buy buy the comic. Um, and then every every scene was um, talky, boring stuff on the left side, exciting splash stuff on the right side, and. <laughs> You know, it, it's and it gets to be it gets to be kind of a formula. You know, you, you got to do it that way because that's how people turn the pages and that's what they see. Yeah, you can see that with um, 
with like Brian K. Vaughn especially, uh, whenever you're reading one of his books, the first page is always something crazy. Like you'll see uh, someone giving birth or um, <laughs> up close and personal, you know? Yeah. Or you'll see, uh, you know, someone's head just being lopped off and falling to the ground. And then the last page, same thing, but it's like three words, three to four words, this huge cliffhanger where you're just grabbing your hair and saying, I can't believe I have to wait. You're in there for the next issue. You know you're getting oh, the next yeah. issue just to find yeah. out what happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, it's difficult to do but easy to plan. No, wait. It's the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, growing up, what um, – what 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 books were I guess on in your reading pile when you had time to read them? Yeah, I want to know this, and I was also wondering what kind of creators you really dug when you were younger too. Okay, so um, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas were were the first creators I ever became aware of. Um, the books that were the books that were with me uh, growing up: Douglas Adams, um, of course, Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, comics wise, though, I was die-hard fan of Chris Claremont X-Men. Mm. That was... <laughs> you got the buzzer. Yeah. Well, it wasn't that wasn't what I was laughing at. I know this is purely audio, but um, you know, you guys have your webcams on and, and so I can see that. So, I I get it. I get it when I have the uh, the positive uh, feedback with the thumbs up yes, there. Sir. Uh, yeah. Rusty. <laughs> um, and it's so funny because we also, you know, we wrapped up a poll today and the poll took Chris Claremont out of the water. That was another. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was, was um it was one of the the polls for favorite writer, and out of a hundred people, Chris Claremont blew it out. Yeah, Chris Chris Claremont is is definitely a guy who uh, who who gave me a good idea about how to do a series, because he was always introducing something, he was always moving forward. Um, you know, he's also the king of the dangling plot line because if something wasn't didn't hold his attention to resolve it, he just let it hang and you'd and you'd wonder is this coming back in 100 issues is he going to get 100 issues to get this to come back in yeah um you know i was also uh you know i was also when i became more aware of of the writers i i became a, a fan of uh, mark millar um frank miller of course uh and um grant morrison are are some of the guys who are <laughs> who are, are kind of high up on my my, my list mm. although the the book so when i um you know, as I as I put in my as I put in my bio and I've referenced a little bit, you know, I I served in the military. Um, I actually retired from the the Air National Guard as a master sergeant, um, and I started that career active duty. So w- when I did my initial four years of active duty, um, I sort of checked out of comics for those four years. Um, I stayed heavy in gaming, but um, I I really didn't read anything. And so when I when I sort of came back to civilian life, I, I looked back at everything that I had that I was keeping up with. Um, a lot of manga, a lot of black and white manga stuff, a lot of black and white independence, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Area 88, um, that sort of thing. And I oh Lone Wolf and Cub, uh, one of my one of my all time favorites. Um, and I, I looked back at it and said, well, what what am I going to buy four years of back issues on? And that really caused a lot of a lot of call to my to my sub um but the uh the one of the guys that i went back and got every single issue was grew the wanderer mm. sergio aragones mark yeah. Evanier. um that was that remains anything uh sergio aragones is is on my is on my special list on my on my sub uh, and uh you know i just 
that was that had a brilliance to it, um, comedic brilliance that just you know kind of held and and helped uh, kind of define what I think is funny. <laughs> also taught me the uh, definition of the uh, the word mulch <laughs> <laughs> and mendicant. Yeah, Red Skull met you at Tidewater. Uh, yep, three years at Tidewater Comic Con, and then he was also at uh, this mini con at Portsmouth Public Library. Yes, it was a great little, great little one day show with a. Um, I, I don't know if I want to admit this. It's got a ten dollar table. Yeah. Oh wow. It's it's a great show. I will do that. What every a deal! Year they do it. <laughs> yeah. It it's and, and it's it, in a it, library, and so you it, don't pay for Wi-Fi, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's that, but it's also it's also in a library, so it attracts the more literary yeah. sort of fans, um, which which really works for me because you know trying to do long form coming from comics and trying to do long form prose fiction, it's it's a it's a weird mix. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. So, uh, are you going to be at any cons or anything here in the near future? Uh, where can some of our fans reach out to you and meet you in person? Well, I um, I also do Hampton Comic Con, uh, which I'm which I put on my my application for, but I haven't heard back whether or not I'm I'm going to be. Uh, they have uh, they got three times as many applications as they have tables, um, so we'll see if they uh, if they accept me as being interesting enough. Um, so we got a shout out to Mike. Mike, take take the app. Come on, know you're listening to the spot. D. Clarence Snyder. <laughs> um, and then I uh, I also have some connections in South Florida, so um, I may be doing. Uh, there's a South Florida. Let me see what the actual name is. South Florida Comic Con, um, which is actually in November. Mm. Uh, that's that's what I have on my on my list right now. Um, I, I'm getting reminded that I need to apply to a Nashville show too, um, but uh, I don't have uh, I don't have any official dates on that. The uh, the South Florida Con is uh, 18 November. Okay, cool. I'm gonna say, but there's a NovaCon in Northern Virginia coming up uh, this next month too. Uh, yeah, I think they were uh, I think they were out of tables when I looked oh. into them. For, oh, wow. for my for my class, um, I looked into a I looked into a couple of those uh, kind of late, and um, the uh, yeah a lot of that space sells out quick. I mean, there's yeah. there's a lot of people on the East Coast that that uh, like to go to those uh, like to like to exhibit those, and so they fill up pretty fast. Yeah, in my experience. Cool. And if and if I'm three weeks before a show, and if I ask them if they've got table space, and they say yes. I consider that maybe that's not a show worth doing. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that that has actually happened to me once. I uh, mm. three three weeks out, I said, eh, "Do you have any tables left?" And they said, "Yeah, we have plenty." I said, "Okay, <laughs> you're gonna keep plenty." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that doesn't exactly give you a warm fuzzy, does it? <laughs> no, and, and that was going to be one that I was going to have to travel for. And and yeah, when when you got to spend a lot of money to do a show, you want it to be a good show. <laughs> exactly. Ugh. So we talked a little bit about your books. Uh, now they're available on Amazon, correct? They are available in print um, on Amazon, mm-hmm. and then as eBooks uh, for people who are attuned to that. Um, they are uh, available in every electronic bookstore: um, iTunes, Google Play, uh, uh, Barnes and Noble uh, for Nook, and Amazon, of course, for Kindle, and then uh, Kobo which is um, a, a retailer that I only found out about through my ebook distributor. 
I'm not familiar with them. I wasn't either, but I, I consistently mention them just in case. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> I never know when that's somebody's favorite, you know, when that's somebody's favorite format. Um, I also got a note that apparently Barnes & Noble um, does carry my print versions as well, uh, even though they have to get them through Amazon. So uh, I'm not sure how that works out. Um, it's certainly not in the, you know, it's all online ordering. It's, yeah. it's not, you know, being self-published, it's very hard to get actual shelf space. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, one of the things, if you if you go and look and you're into ebooks, um, obviously they're all cheaper as ebooks because I don't have to pay the printer. Uh, but I do have one short story, The Armor Heist, which is sort of a prequel to the novels. It's not really a prequel, it just happened 10 years earlier. So, you know, whatever label you want to put on that. Um, but that short story is, is actually free for ebooks, uh, for e readers. And um, I did that as, as, you know, really intentionally as a, a taste of my writing and my style and the world so that. You know, people who can go forward and, and buy more. Very cool. You know, I always give the thumbs up to the guy that's going to give you a little bit of a taste of what they're about. Yeah. You know, it's like a fan service thing, and that is so great that you do that, man. Well, it, you know, it's very important to me. I, working, working as I have, you know, I'm I'm keen on libraries. Um, I I love to donate books to libraries. You know, basically, if a library writes me and says, "Hey, do you have donations?" I would give I give them a full set. Um, because it gives people the opportunity to to see what they like, and also furthers you know literacy, which is a very important cause to me. Um, and and you know when you get you know I worked in a comic book store for for twelve years, and when you're working in that, there's so much out there, and you just it's like what is what is worth looking at, what's worth putting the investment in, and free comic book day is is brilliant because yeah. it gives everybody the opportunity to have that taste i haven't i haven't you know invested any of my treasure and now i'm just going to see whether or not it's is worth the investment of my intent, attention and if somebody is you know then then great you come back for more now now at least you know that you have the you have a known quantity that you're going after and uh, you know then it's up to you whether or not it's you know worth spending some money but at least at least that way you have an idea of what you're what you're into when in for no definitely I'm gonna say this right now something that was always stuck with me um, and I this will relate is that when I went to uh, Dallas comic-con this past year I finally met Matt Hawkins who is president of top cow some that I've known for about a year and a half a year and I've talked to back and forth on the internet but I finally met him and uh, whenever we got to talking and stuff, you know, I mentioned that I hadn't read a few things of his or um, other people's with Top Cow, and he just started grabbing books off the table and just giving them to me. He's like, you haven't read this here. Try this one here. You know, mm-hmm. try this one. And he just started giving them to me for free. Yeah. And ever since that, I've just been like, whoa. And it just gave me that totally different perspective on Top Cow, even though, like I said, I know him and stuff. And it's just like, you know, if they're really this passionate about, like, you know, giving back to the fans and stuff, they must be passionate about their writing and their work, too. Yeah, it, that's super cool. I mean, that that's a super cool approach, and that's one of the things I love about doing shows is that you have the opportunity, you know, to to see somebody who is making the decision for their own livelihood to just give you something, you mm-hmm. know. And and the uh, <laughs> there's a there's a phrase I like the the fastest way to shut down a bad restaurant is to advertise it. If you <laughs> believe in your product and you believe, you know, as a publisher, if you believe in your product, you're willing to give some of it away. To give people the opportunity mm-hmm. to say yes, this is something I want to get into, um, and that's you know that's that's very cool. Uh, the the top guy would do that. I, I 
it's been a, it's been a while since I've talked to any of those guys. Um, you know, late generally when I go to shows, I'm uh, I'm exhibiting and uh, kind of a one man show, so I'm stuck at my table. Even when I did San Diego um, for years, I did San Diego for I don't know six seven years with uh, with the Tech, and um, or with uh, oh no, I guess it was five years, five or six years. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I did San Diego a number of times with with the Tech and with that publisher, and it's such a madhouse that you know I'm I'm was stuck at the table the whole time, even though I was you know one on a team of five at that point. Uh, I'd get out a little bit, but you know it. it when I get out, I was there to, to interact with panels and see what you know, see what the big things were. It was, uh, you know, I just didn't really have the time to uh, to walk around and talk to other publishers. Um, although Chicago, which I also did with the Tick, um, that was actually one of the things that I was uh, that I was sent to do because the Tick Comics. And some people know this, some people don't. Uh, New England Comics Press is actually a sister company to New England Comics, the retail chain, and so when we would do shows, we would go to represent both parties. Um, working deep in the publisher as I did, I would spend a lot of time representing the publisher, but I was also working for the store at the same time. And so we would, you know, one year at, at Chicago, uh, I went with the specific mission to talk to every single publisher that was there. Um, it was during um, it was during this upset with uh, Diamond Comics and uh, Capital City, and um, they were kind of falling apart capital city was about to go out of business and uh they uh the big thing was uh direct direct sales so retail chain large retail chains like us were trying to arrange direct sales with publishers so that we could basically bypass diamond um if you know anything about comic retail business now you know that not many of those deals survived <laughs> um some some super retailers still have still have those deals but uh Anybody who's comic specialty is doing business with Diamond now, and um, but it, so there was this year of uncertainty, and uh, I got to got to go around and talk to a bunch of publishers, and um, you know, with with all the buying power of one of the largest shops in the country, and and say try and set up direct deals, and so I got I got to talk to a lot of people and uh, talk to a lot of small press, and um, there's a lot of my early career where I learned how not to do things. <laughs> That was one of those moments. Some of the small press guys I talked to were um, just didn't get it. Um, there was uh, I, I can't remember the company. I know they don't exist anymore. Um, I don't remember the name of the comic, but it was it, it seemed really good. But in this in the thought of giving a distribution deal with one of the largest uh, retailers, with the largest especially retailers in the country, this guy tried to make me buy issue one at like four ninety five. Mm. Wouldn't even wouldn't even give a sample. They were so interested in selling every last page that they that they had produced that they just had no interest in, in giving a giving a taste. And like I said, that publisher doesn't exist anymore, and I can't remember the name of the comic for for anything now. Um, but I know that it's not on stands. They did six issues, and that was the end of them. Hmm. Yeah, it's still happening. Recently, when I was at a con, I mean, you can see the cover price on some of them, and they're still asking for more than that. It's like, well, all right, guys. Yeah, it, it's you know, it's a, it's a shame, and and you know, I get it. I get it. I work for small press because um, New England Comics Press. I mean, the, the tick is huge. You know, I joke that nobody's ever heard of it, but the reality is everybody's heard of it. Um, but we're still a small, you know, it was a, still a small publisher, still so small press. Um, we had some positively awful books that we did, uh, but we, we 
had to put an enormous cover price on everything because printing was so expensive to us. We had to outsource all of our printing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now fortunately they've, since then, they've become a much better publisher and they're, they're now participating in Free Comic Book Day, which, you know, I, I think is wonderful. You know, I'm, I'm not with them anymore, so I don't, I'm not making business decisions for them. But when I was there, it was so frustrating because I was trying to advertise and, and trying to rope people in. And they, you know, they, it was just, no, we've got to get this cover price this high because that covers printing. Um, so I get it, and I get these, I get these, these startups and whatnot that are trying to recoup their money. I mean, it's self-publishing books. I mean, it, as cheap as it is for me to, to do print on demand now, and it, and it really is. Um, you know, I'm, I am trying to recoup costs when I when I look at things. You know, I look at how much money I have to spend in software and, and all that. But and and when I do a show and, and whatnot, but I still look at it and realize nobody has ever heard of me when I'm walking into something like this, not with the name I'm using now. And it nobody's heard of the stuff that I'm doing because I'm not on the, you know, I've, I've hit the top 20 bestseller list on a really specific bestseller um, with the Armor Heist, incidentally. And it, it's a really particular list, and I check it every day. Um, and I've gotten as high as number 12 on that list. Uh, but, you know, that's still not the kind of world-famous bestseller. You know, it's not Stephen King putting out a new book. And so when I, when I encounter people and I get somebody who's interested, I, you know, I look at it and go, this is somebody who I can, I can turn away by sticking to my cover price. Or I can give them an opportunity to become a fan. And you know, I, look in, I look at my box and see what I can give away. And I, and I give away pretty much as much as I can um, at most shows like that. Um, I had somebody who bought um, like three or four short stories and one novel and I was like here take the fourth short story for free you know come back and read the second novel after you finish that and she looked at me like I was crazy I was like mm -hmm. you bought everything else you have covered the price of printing this book don't worry about it yeah <laughs> and and the other thing I tell people is you know every copy that somebody buys is a copy I can give away uh, in it you know right, when yeah. it when it, it's in print you know that that's that's not totally true in ebooks. I mean, I can give away as many ebooks as I want, <laughs> really, really, you know. And uh, I, I have people I know who I, who I look at and say, "Hey, you know, here, let me let me give you something." They're like, "No, no, no, let me let me pay you, let me pay you." Wait, I, I'm not going to get rich off of one book. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. it's too easy to get me talking about the business of this. By the way. Uh, that's, that is yeah. kind of the side of it I've been on a long time. I, I love writing. I love telling stories. It's it's actually, tell it, storytelling is is what I try to do. That's why I write. That's why I look at comics as a valid media. That's why I write comics. That's why I'm returning to comics, and still writing novels. Um, you know, I, I'm I was adapting the armor, the armor heist into a screenplay, um, only because a friend of a friend of a friend is an agent, but they only represent screenplays. And frankly, I think it'd be a great movie. Cool. It's actually really cool because, yeah, you know, one of the things here is that that I always get because you know a lot of the time whenever I'm writing something or whatever, I usually can visualize what I want to write. You know, like I can make out a picture in my head, and I'm by no means am I an artist. I wish I was an artist at sometimes so I can write down what I see or draw out what I see. But uh, yeah, no, that's one of the first things that I always uh, envision myself whenever I'm writing out something is, hey, can I, uh, you know. Because I have a background in 
film and television, uh, kind of. Uh, it's something that I always think that I can put out there is, you know, would this work on that? Could I, you know, from a business standpoint, could I market this? And, uh, you know, the, the idea that you think that, that, that that's important, you know? Well, if, if you want to have commercial success, which ultimately everybody who's trying to do this and put it out in print, you know, whether they admit it or not, they want commercial success. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to say, hey, look, I'm doing this because I love doing it. Okay, I'm doing this because I love doing it, but I would still love to have commercial success. I mm-hmm. mean, that's, that, that's, that's the reality. Um, and, uh, you know, being able to see it in your head, you know, like you're watching it, uh, that's that's actually a really big step forward in being able to tell a story. I mean, um, you know, envision it like you're watching a you know your backgrounds in film or television. You you know envision it like you're watching an episode, and then just describe what happened, and set yourself a deadline, and just yeah, exactly. try, and just do it, yeah. and don't edit while you're going. You'll never complete a first draft if you edit while you're while you're writing. Um, mm. You know, I, I did so much editing um, as as part of as part of my work um, with publishing that it it's so easy to stop and go, oh no no no, that's not what I meant, and it, or gee, I used the same word twice in a paragraph. Um, you know, uh, let me change that. I know I need to finish this scene, but let me change that. Yeah, it's to get the first draft out. You know, any kind of writing, any kind of creative site is going to say no. When 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 you write your first draft, just remember you're you're shoveling sand into a box so that you can build castles later. And I didn't make that up. I read it off something on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good quote there. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's you know, it's just it's it's a matter of forcing yourself to do it a lot of times, and then once once you've got it out there, um, you know, going back and then and then molding it crafting it into something that's 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 readable by other people and you know one of the the best things so for you rusty write a damn first draft get it done then when you've got a first draft read it again yourself make sure you like it then give it to somebody else and listen to what they have to say you know it's it's you you get so much you get so much better and so much crafting to a final product when you take creative criticism from other people and it's it's kind of important people that you you know that you give it to and the criticism that you get i mean you know i, I lucked out I, <laughs> on the printed version of, of the cookie caper I, you know i have a quote from my mom that says uh this was a really good read i enjoyed it and uh she really did say that um but you know y- your mom's actually a terrible person to give <laughs> to give constructive criticism because she loves everything you do you know <laughs> So, so somebody in the room with me just shouted, "That's a lie." No. <laughs> <laughs> and and the the fact of the matter is, my my mom's actually pretty honest, and um, you know she actually she she works in sort of in publishing and and she does proofreading, and so you know when it's it's a bad example for me to use my mom because you know my mom, like all moms, is perfect, but <laughs> no, she she really she really tells me when I've screwed something up, and and. Uh, you know that so that's really a bad example but for most people that's a good example don't use your mom you know you use somebody else somebody uh somebody who doesn't know you know you quite as well um the, <laughs> a, a, a wonderful fan that i met once in uh san diego um walked up to me and uh it, you know and i'm there selling books and dvds or whatever for the for the retailer and, and i had my partner behind me uh signing autographs and this guy comes up and uh 
and says, um, "I said, he says, oh, the, the tick." I said, "Yeah, yeah, we've got uh, we've got Mark Sylvia here uh, signing autographs," and he looks at me, not realizing that I'm doing most of the writing, and he says, "Oh, Mark Sylvia, I hate him," <laughs> <laughs> and I and I look at him and say, "Really? What don't you like about him?" And and he proceeds to tell me about you know the derivativeness of the story that we're doing and and how you know we're we're using so many lines or whatever and and not really coming up with that much new stuff which you know I don't want to tell him when you're writing for a licensed character you're very limited about what you can create you know the it's all got to be approved by the license holder and so but you know instead I take this kid and said okay tell you what why don't you walk around the other side and tell Mark exactly what you think of him. <laughs> and then she, and the kid walks around to the other side, and he immediately starts, "Oh my gosh, I love your work!" Blah, blah, blah. And, I, and I look at him, and say, "No, no, tell him what you told me." <laughs> and, oh, and Mark looks at me. Kids on the spot, eyes the size of saucers. And, yeah, <laughs> that was said, funny. He says he hates you. <laughs> no, no, I didn't mean it. <laughs> didn't mean it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, occasionally you gotta, occasionally you gotta get that kind of feedback. You gotta get the feedback yeah. from somebody who doesn't like you. You know, there's somebody who likes the other guy that that they grew up with better. Right? You know, they they're, they're gonna tell you a little, especially if they don't know that they're talking to you. You know, they think they're talking to somebody else. You know, you're there impersonating yourself. Um, you know, you get really honest feedback, and uh, you know, it, it can be, uh, it can be good. <laughs> Awesome. It certainly makes for good stories to tell other people. Oh yeah, no, definitely. I and I'm gonna take that on you. I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna take that from you. I'm gonna remember this, and it's be the words of D. Clarence Snyder. Sometimes people don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes people don't like you. There, that's the soundbite you need. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, Red Skull, Nova. Do either one of you have any more questions before we end this? No, I mean it was a it was a great conversation. Yeah, well, um, we covered just about everything. Yeah. I mean, do we do we miss anything in any in there, David? <laughs> we even, I mean, we we got Chris Claremont in there. We got um, <laughs> realizing yes, that do. sometimes you're bad. So. <laughs> yes, only by being bad can you ever get better. Yes. How's that for a deepity? That's great. No, it's, that's going to take – we'll cut that right there. You hear that, Rob Liefeld? <laughs> uh, yeah, and sometimes you got to learn how to dance around the subject. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, working retail and comics, you know, when somebody, when somebody asks you about somebody that you're not a fan of, you got to smile and explain everything that's great about them. Yeah. <laughs> Because you can't tell them. Sometimes people just don't like you. Yep, true yeah. story. Or you can't draw feet. But that's another <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Make up for it with some extra muscle and pouches. Yes. Speed lines. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, David, it's been great talking to you. I, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And, you know, we're looking forward to more things in the future, more comics, hopefully, from you, right? That is my plan. You know, my, my cool. plan is, like I said, I, I love comic stories. Um, I, I love the medium. I, I've been with it for a long time. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like I like doing the, I like being able to tell stories that people don't think of as comic stories in comics because it, it really gives a, a validity to the medium and um, that, that it truly has, you know, and long and has long had that ability. 
all right, rather than spinning off again, <laughs> I'll, I'll smile and nod even though you can't see it. And, uh, you know, and uh, I'll, I'll definitely uh, keep in touch. And when I have, um, when I have comics uh, coming, I'll... Uh, Let us know. We'll bring you it. back. I, 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 I will. The, uh, I'm, I'm being told how young and cute you all are <laughs> from your webcams. <laughs> 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 it's a good thing my camera's not on, right? <laughs> yeah. 